0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 76, a conversation with Joelle O'Connor. Joelle is a cosmetic coordinator for a dermatology practice, and she is an expert in all things skincare. In the fall of 2020, she was diagnosed with a HER2-positive breast cancer. She underwent extensive treatment, including chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation. On this episode, we are talking about everything related to skincare during cancer treatment. We talk about the changes that happen in your skin, your scalp, nails, and the products that are more ideal and less ideal to use during that time. And we also talk about the recovery after chemotherapy and how to slowly start easing back into a skincare regimen. I found this episode extremely, extremely helpful with practical tips and guidance about how to best care for your skin, both during cancer treatment and beyond. And a lot of the tips that we talked about are not just for patients that are recovering from chemotherapy, but really are applicable to everybody. I think that you're going to find this episode so valuable, and I urge you to share it with someone who may as well. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Joelle O'Connor to the Interlude Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude Podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Thanks for joining me, Joelle. Thank you so much for having me today. So let's start by having you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, your story, what you do, all of that. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So I am the cosmetic coordinator for Schweiger Dermatology Group. My office is located in Hackensack, New Jersey. We have over 90 offices throughout New York, New Jersey and Connecticut. I work solely with our cosmetic patients. I do um, introduction, I do education, I do pre and post care. I do sales, I do skincare regimens, so if it's anything in the cosmetic realm, it is under my little umbrella of care, and I love what I do, every day is an exciting day, I'm so fortunate to be surrounded by our beautiful patients who come through our doors, and every single person I encounter every day, but... Right about a little earlier than this time, it was September of 2020, I was diagnosed with stage 2B invasive ductal carcinoma. And my life as I knew it kind of went on its head very quickly.
0: How were you diagnosed? Because you're young, did you go for a mammogram or did you feel a mass? It was about a week after
1: a vacation in August. August, I felt a mass randomly in the shower and it was huge. It, and I came to the office the next day and I literally had everybody, every provider here going, you know, can you touch this? What does this feel like? Is this assist? Is this assist? And everybody was kind of like, not sure. But unfortunately, five years ago, I lost my mother to breast cancer. Um, that eventually had spread to her brain. So, to be on the side of caution, obviously, I immediately called my fantastic OBGYN who said, You know what? Breast cancer kind of doesn't present like this. And at the time, I was 37 years old. And, but given my history, he said, We obviously have to send you for diagnostic testing. So, within a few days, I was able to get an appointment for a mammogram and an ultrasound and it was the time when I heard the radiologist say I don't care what needs to happen get her in here in the next day or two I really in the back of my head knew that I had cancer and about a week later I was sitting in our kitchen here eating lunch with my coworkers, and I received the phone call that said in fact yes Joelle you you do have breast cancer
0: What happened after that?
1: After that, I saw you very quickly. Um, I'm very happy that you were my provider through this entire time, but within a matter of three weeks of scans and tests, and I honestly thought there was just a matter of time before I would glow in the dark. I was being injected with so much contrast and this and that, but I finally had a diagnosis, and I had a diagnosis quickly. And the plan was to have chemotherapy, an aggressive course, to have a double mastectomy, although the cancer was only located in my left breast. I really didn't want to deal with this ever again in my life, so I'm not tied to either of them, so off they both went. I also completed a course of radiation to my left breast and the, um, my underarm where two of my lymph nodes were removed. And now I am on immunotherapy and I am inching closer every day to my reconstructive surgery. So the light is at the end of the tunnel.
0: It's been a long road. Um, you've done really, really well, which is awesome.
1: Yes, it was definitely a long and bumpy and arduous road but I wouldn't have traded anything in the world because I truly did receive the most excellent care.
0: Thank you. And, you know, one of the reasons that you and I had decided to record this podcast was because of all of the skin changes that go on during chemo. And, you know, I'll be honest, it's not something that really oncologists talk about much, myself included, partly because, you know, it's different for everybody and, it's a, it's kind of a vague topic, um, but you have so much experience in this arena. Yes. So
1: in a matter of probably two weeks after I started chemotherapy, my beauty regimen, as I knew it was completely just pushed off the roof here. So, you know, I'm kind, I'm very honest about everything that I've done for the, over the past decade, I regularly receive Botox, dermal fillers, chemical peels, laser resurfacing, um, tightening treatments, all non-invasive procedures. And realistically, these procedures are not meant to change your appearance. They're really designed to enhance features that you love about yourself and maybe do a little refreshing. Like, I'm not going to lie, we came from a generation where... If our parents remember to put sunscreen on us when we were at the beach when we were little, we were lucky. And over time, sun damage starts to appear on your skin. And despite the fact that I had a very regimented skincare routine that I did at home and also with, combined with my treatments, that all came to a very, very screeching halt very quickly. And it was very hard to quit all of that cold turkey.
0: What did you notice kind of the first skin changes that started occurring?
1: The first skin change that happened actually was kind of twofold. First, my hair started falling out. That happened about two weeks after my first TCHP treatment. Scalp kind of started to get a little little tender, but as I brushed it every morning, it was just clumps and clumps coming out. And I was like, no, we can't do this. And since I already went through this with my mother, I already made peace with the fact that if this was going to happen, I was going to lose my hair. So I really did try to make the best of it by turning wig shopping and shaving my head into like an epic shopping trip. And Needless to say, I'll never be blonde. It's just not a color that works best on my skin tone, but I will happily stay brunette as long as I can. So, you know, I tried to find the fun in it, but around the same time, my skin broke out like a hormonal 13-year-old. There's no other way I could describe it. All of this acne breakout started happening in my cheeks, in my chin, and It was just a double whammy that I was not prepared for. And because I work in a healthcare setting, I have to wear a mask all day. So I'm breathing onto this kind of new broken out skin. And now I'm ending up with chapped raw skin because I'm completely destroying my skin barrier. And there's literally nothing I could use at the time except Gentle cleansers, gentle moisturizers, and sunscreen. That was it. No vitamin C, no retinol, no acids. I couldn't even look at any of my products because even the mere thought of putting them on my skin brought me to tears because it was just so raw and painful. But once I stopped treatment in a few weeks, about a few weeks after that, the breakouts started to go away. I was able to really control the barrier issues that were happening. I got the real dry skin under control. It, it just takes a while. You have to be patient with those things, but it went from like zero to 60. There's I, I can't even begin to say it
0: otherwise. And when it was so raw and when it was breaking out and you were finding that the gentle cleansers and the sunscreens helped, do you have some... Examples of products, and we, you know, this is not medical advice, and we're not saying that what you use is going to work for other people, but just to give the listeners an idea of what products you did find helpful.
1: Absolutely. So, the thing that's important when your skin care, your skin barrier is compromised, so whether you're breaking out, you have eczema, your skin is raw, it's dry, the important thing is to maintain an adequate level of hydration. Now that doesn't mean find the heaviest, thickest, strongest moisturizer you can find because that could actually make acne worse. So you need to look for products that help to replace ceramides in the skin. And ceramides are really the glue that holds our skin, cell, our skin cells together and it helps keep moisture in and bacteria out. So that's really where products, you want to look for things that have hyaluronic acid and ceramides in them. Those are really the most gentle things you can put on your skin. In terms of washing your face, despite the fact that someone has acne, you still need to wash all of the garbage off of your face from the day. We're still sweating. There's still environmental pollution that we need to deal with. So cleansers need to be soap-free. And just because something's soap-free doesn't mean it's not cleaning your skin. It means it's not continuously stripping that barrier that's already compromised. So you need to look for products that are gentle. And some of the brands that I used And also get recommended often, even for patients in our office of all different skin conditions, are Cetaphil and CeraVe. Those are really the most gentle products that are on the market. I'm a little particular to CeraVe because it really did help with holding that moisture back into your skin. But those are the most commonly used gentle products available.
0: And so you're, and you're using these, would you say twice a day? Like walk us through kind of what's a great routine during chemo. Like you wake up in the morning, what's happening with your? What are you doing to your face? When you
1: wake up in the morning, even though our skin is repairing itself at night, you still, you know, have accumulated bacteria from your pillowcase or your dog that's sleeping with you or just your body shedding skin, ca- uh, skin cells naturally. So always wash in the morning, gentle cleanser. Moisturizer goes right on top, less is always more. And then even chemo patients, non-cancer patients, any patient, the most important thing that you can do to protect the health of your skin on so many levels, be it anti-aging or just preventing skin cancer, is to use a broad spectrum physical sunscreen. And you wanna look for products that have zinc and titanium in them because that's gonna give you the greatest amount of protection. So that was literally all I used for about four months. Obviously I don't have to wear sunscreen at night, but cleanser, moisturizer, sunscreen in the day. You come home, wash before you go to sleep and a nice light layer of moisture.
0: Okay. And then for people who are using, let's say like vitamin C or other products, do you put that on before the moisturizer or after the moisturizer? Because that's a common question that comes up.
1: So patients that are going through chemotherapy that are have or radiation or any kind of cancer treatment that is really compromising the quality and the barrier of their skin really should lay off of vitamin C. Vitamin C can be very irritating outside of any kind of compromised skin barrier. Even a regular patient who's never used a vitamin C before, and they come in so many different percentages. I think over the counter, you can get anywhere from 10 to 15. In office, we dispense up to 30%. So you really have to be very careful what you're putting on your skin. But after chemotherapy, once you get the clear from your um, your oncologist to resume using these products, serums always go before moisturizers. So if you're using a vitamin C serum, and vitamin C serums are so crucial to maintaining the health of your skin because they help break down free radicals. And free radicals are things that go into the cells and cause damage. It's just, a it's a wrecking ball going through the cells. So these free radicals not only can make us look older, accelerate the aging process, but free radical damage can be a contributing factor to potential skin cancers down the line, not necessarily melanoma, but non-melanoma skin cancers like basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. And since skin cancer is one of the most preventable forms of, of cancer, it makes it so much more crucial to make sure You're using sunscreen and especially with vitamin C because vitamin C can be a little irritating. But on chemotherapy, I highly advise against vitamin C once you're off, always before moisturizer.
0: Great advice. Thank you. Now, another common question that comes up in terms of products is kind of the clean beauty, right? And the clean products that don't have the Mm -hmm. parabens in them. So, what is your take on all of that?
1: So now that I've gone through this entire process, I've become much more of a label reader and I pay attention to not selecting products that contain things like parabens, formaldehyde, fragrance, anything that can A, potentially be irritating and B, disrupt your system in any way, shape or form. And I know there's still studies on that and the jury's still out, but the less garbage we put into our bodies, the better. And that also begins with the skin. I I use natural skincare products, but I'm also very wary about which skincare products I use that are natural. I love natural moisturizers just because they're, they're very hydrating. They contain very calming ingredients. You can look for ingredients like calendula and aloe. Those are things that are very soothing. I'm very wary of natural products that are vitamin C products or retinol products. There are retinol alternatives um, called bakuchiol. That's a very popular retinol derivative that's making its way through skincare now. We actually retail a couple items that do contain bakuchiol, But for me, I look for products that have clinical backing to them. And... You always have to do your research when you're putting things on your skin. And I'll be the first to admit, I love a TikTok trend. I'm obsessed. I'm on skin talk all the time. Like I I could stay up all night watching different product recommendations, different ways of putting on products, but you really have to be an educated consumer. And yes, products do come at a cost, less expensive doesn't mean it's. Bad, expensive doesn't mean it's good. You have to look for quality ingredients that are paraben free, that are fragrance free, formaldehyde free. So you kind of have to do a little bit of due diligence and not necessarily just run out and get on the TikTok trend bandwagon.
0: Okay, what is Skin Talk? I have to ask. Oh
1: my God, you know, I'm, my clearly gosh, talk. I'm clearly missing out on something. Clearly Oh my it is literally like the black hole of everything you could think of—makeup, skincare, you name it. On TikTok, I—it's like mesmerizing. And for someone like me who's been in this industry for so long, there's still things that. I'm learning on there. A lot of it, you know, you have to kind of take with a grain of salt because you kind of have to watch who it's coming from. An influencer doesn't necessarily mean you're properly educated on the information that you're giving. And I don't knock the influencers. I just, you have to be very careful about what's being recommended to you.
0: And I think, I mean, that goes for anything that you see online, right? What are the credentials of the person sharing it? And Is it evidence-based or is it just their anecdotal experience and all of that?
1: Absolutely. And in dermatology, we really base a lot of the products that we choose on clinically backed research. Was a study done? What was the study? Is it just you're giving somebody a product and they use it for 12 weeks and they check off a couple of boxes, or are you taking biopsies of the skin to see changes in collagen remodeling? You know, that's where you wanna look for quality results-driven products.
0: That's, that's very helpful. So let's talk about, so that's kind of the face. Let's talk next about nails.
1: Oh, holy moly. That was a disaster. <laughs>
0: so nails and hands and all, cause I mean, those are huge, especially if you're getting any sort of taxol or taxotere and nail changes are really prevalent and painful and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So tell us your en- story. With this. Oh yes.
1: It was bad enough that I had to break up with my gel manicures. So, I mean, in a way it was good because my nails had to rehab, but at the same token, They started looking like ridges were forming. My cuticles were basically the Sahara Desert. So anything like I even like remotely knocked into, here goes my cuticles bleeding. My hands were cracked and dry. And especially again, because we work in healthcare, I am washing and sanitizing. So by the end of the day, I was like, oh my God, I don't know what's worse, my hands or my face. Luckily, I could at least hide behind the mask. But you have to be so careful because some of the, uh, the chemotherapies can actually cause your nails from lifting out of the bed. That creates a situation where you can be accumulating bacteria underneath your nails and then you don't want to run into secondary infections. Same thing with being very careful about the corners of your fingers and injuring your hand. You don't want to run into a situation where unhealed wounds because now you're immune compromised, you're in your immune system's not working up to par that you're running into more serious complications.
0: And what kind of, you know, did you use anything on your, on your nails or kind of any products that help? Sometimes we tell people, you know, to soak them um, either in like a tea tree oil or to, I sometimes tell people to take vitamin E capsules and break them apart and use the liquid on the nails or anything that found you found helpful? Vitamin
1: E capsules are really, really great. The tea tree oil is great because you don't want that bacteria growth to happen. And tea tree oil has antiseptic properties to it. The thing that I found most helpful was good old aquaphor. I would just smear it all over the tips of my fingers. And as annoying and uncomfortable as this is, I bought those white cotton gloves and just put them over my hands while I slept. And it really does help to hold that moisture back into your skin. So I would do vitamin E on top. I would put the aquaphor on top to hold that vitamin E in and then gloves on
0: and night, night. Yeah. Cause it gets, I mean, the, the, like the aquaphor, I can imagine if you did it during the day would be very messy and sticky and all of that.
1: You would be a greasy disaster, unable to text or type.
0: Yeah. So putting it on at night is great. Now, do you put it on your feet also or just your hands?
1: I put it everywhere that was dry and cracking. But okay. the, the, the caveat is, is I, and again, just because my, you know, my face was a disaster, my hands, my cuticles, my nails, but so were my legs, my elbows, my knees. So what became important is switching from body lotions to body creams creams are a lot thicker they contain something called dimethicone which is kind of like a silicone primer almost that gives cream that kind of real nice smooth luxurious feeling and i would slather cream on and then once that was absorbed i would slather on another layer of aquaphor (laughs) So, I was doing everything possible to hold moisture into my skin.
0: This is a routine. I mean, this is a lot of work.
1: It is a lot of work. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where I was so uncomfortable and just watching everything start cracking and bleeding. And I was so itchy. I, I would be sitting here like just shoving pens down my scrub top and like scratching my back. I'm like, I can't take this anymore. But it was one of those things that just had to be done because if I would have just let it go and not done anything, it could have potentially got worse. And when your skin is so dry to a point where it's cracking and fissuring and potentially bleeding, that's creating that scenario for possible infection. So you don't want to end up with something more serious where, you know, you might not want to put on the extra layer of the aquaphor, but switching from a lotion to a cream is an absolute must.
0: And I think you make a really important point that, um, you know, it does, it does take time, but in order to really take care of your body during this really traumatic time you have to put in the effort you know I think it it can be hard to dedicate extra time to this but it's really really important
1: a lot of people look at skincare and cosmetics and even just putting on body lotion after you shower as like you know, kind of like a self-care, not important. I don't have to do it every day, but it is important. The skin is the largest organ in the body. So if you think about that, it's literally protecting you from everything you encounter every single day. So you have to spend a little bit of time taking care of it during this time. I mean, we should be taking care of it every single day, but because of everything that's happening internally, and the chemo is basically destroying all rapidly dividing cells, which you know also includes skin to a degree, you really have to put in a little bit of time making sure that you're taking care of the biggest organ that you have.
0: That's that's really, really well said. Now you mentioned, you know, showering and moisturizing after the shower. Um, you know, we kind of tell people don't take super hot showers because that can dry out and irritate the skin. Is that true? Or is that some a little bit of a myth?
1: That is very true. Hot water will just rapidly pull out the moisture from your skin. No one likes a tepid shower or a cool shower. So I'll be the first person to be like, I violate the rule. I put on a hot shower, let the water run, I get warm a little bit, kind of you know, stand there for a few, let the hot water run over. But then I turn the temperature down. I'm not sitting there boiling myself like a crab boil. And as much as baths feel luxurious and make you feel better, you can't have it, you know, you can't become a pot of matzo ball soup. Like that's going to just destroy your skin. So if you are going to take baths or showers, it has to be with tepid water. You know, this is not, you know, the army, we're not making you do cold showers, something that is just tolerable enough where you're not freezing, but you're also not like, oh my God, it's so hot in here. I'm boiling.
0: Okay. That's, help- that's really helpful advice. So we've covered the face. We've covered the body. We've covered nails. The last thing we didn't talk about during treatment is scalp care. Yes right? Because the scalp is skin and really needs kind of care as much as any other part of our body does. Absolutely.
1: So when my hair started to fall out, it became so tender. And that's one of the things that people kind of report the most when they're going through Um, chemotherapy and their hair falls out or even patients with just alopecia areata, their scalp becomes very, very tender. It takes, you know, four to six weeks for your hair to stop growing, kind of falls out every two to three months. So hair is always going through this continuous cycle. When you're going through chemo, that cycle gets shot into hyper overdrive. So once I I shaved my head, My scalp felt so much better, but it still hurt. So like even just touching it, I was like, oh, this is A, feels so weird. B, why is it so tender? So the things that were helpful to me were just taking a very, very, very fine baby brush. And I'm not talking about like the Denman brushes or like the Maison Pearson ones, like literally just a very, very fine, brush and I just brushed my scalp just a couple times every night. And over time, it felt so much better. And the important thing to take into consideration also when your hair is falling out is you cannot use colored shampoo, you know, anything for curly hair. You got to go to basics. I'm talking baby shampoo, unscented, basic, everything, even going on in the scalp.
0: And any recommendations for a good baby shampoo to use?
1: I was very, very particular to the Honest Company. That became like my favorite brand. They make some scents that are very nice. I had Sweet Almond at one point, and then I just switched to good old Unscented. But you want to just be as gentle as humanly possible.
0: that's definitely one that we recommend also um you know there's so many out there and I think when people think of baby shampoo a lot of people jump to Johnson and Johnson but we actually kind of take tend to stay away from recommending that product
1: I'm not I mean I use Johnson and Johnson to clean my makeup brushes I think it's a great shampoo but when you're really kind of working on a different playing field in terms of what's going on with your body. And obviously Johnson & Johnson Baby Shampoo is incredibly safe. It has been for decades. You just want to use something that has the least amount of ingredients possible. Another brand that some of my providers here like to recommend is by Cream. They make a very gentle shampoo and conditioner, although when you have no hair, you kind of don't need conditioner. But their shampoo and even their body creams are extremely gentle. No parabens, no formaldehyde, very basic and soothing.
0: So that's a lot of great recommendations. Now, so you're going through chemo, you're following all these recommendations, and now you're done with chemo. And so the hair is going to start growing back. And let's talk about that kind of recovery process, because that has a whole other set of recommendations.
1: So my hair actually never really fully fell out. I was waiting for it to happen, but some of the follicles still remained. And it was a little bizarre to me because I really anticipated looking like Mr. Clean for about four months. And I was just like, hmm, okay, we're just going to rock with this. So for me, through the recovery, I just kept doing what I was doing. Everything was like very, very gentle, gentle. And over time, the hair started to grow back. I want to say it was really like four to six weeks after my last treatment is when I really started to see it sprouting. But then came the other side of the equation, which was my eyebrows and eyelashes falling out, which I was not anticipating happening during the time that my hair was growing back. So that was a bit of a bummer to me.
0: And when the hair started growing back, um, actually I'll, I'll make one point here that I get asked a lot. If your hair doesn't fully fall out during chemo, it doesn't mean that the chemotherapy is not effective because a lot of people say, well, if it's not getting there and all of that. Um, but as the hair, more hair started to grow back, was it uncomfortable? Did you feel that same discomfort as you had when it was falling out?
1: The tenderness started to go away within a couple weeks as it started growing. And I had baby fine hair my entire life. I started to experience thick hair, which I prayed for since eternity and probably spent more money on thickening shampoos and sprays to try to even mimic having that. And now it's really kind of just doing its own thing. It's got a bit of a wave to it. I don't have the chemo curls like some of my other sisters, but I am, it, it's it's so much different. It's like somebody hit the reset button.
0: And how has your hair grown back like fully now?
1: It's gray, grayer than I'd like it to be, but I'm kind of rocking with it. But it's it's still growing in a, pretty good time frame. Like every couple of weeks I now have to go back and get my hair cut. So it when it does happen, it happens pretty quickly and pretty consistently. Now I have a question for you about hair loss because this is something I get asked a lot about. A lot oh. of people are very worried when they lose their hair about permanent hair loss. How common is that in terms of chemotherapy treatments?
0: In general, it is not common at all. One drug, Taxotere, so that's the T in the TCHP, Mm -hmm. um, and this is not Taxol, we're just talking about Taxotere, has been linked to very, very rare cases in permanent hair loss. And there is, and the reason that kind of people talk about this more is it was um, a class action lawsuit a couple of years ago, and it made the news and all of that. So we always mention it to patients. With that said, most providers I know, myself included, have never seen a, a case of permanent hair loss from taxotere. Um, I do know a couple of people who've seen it once in, you know, a thirty-year practice. Um, but it can happen, and I think you have to be prepared for it. With that said, um, you know, if taxotere is the most effective drug to give, it's everything is a risk benefit. I have some patients who've said. Look, if there is even a 0.1% of permanent hair loss, I am not, I don't want to take it and we have to find something else. Whereas other people will say, it's, this is less important to me. I want the most, you know, the the drug that's recommended for the cancer. So this really speaks to in general about how there are standard of care recommendations, but we tailor them to patients based on everyone's particular goals and needs. Mm -hmm. But in general, in general, you really—it's—it's um, it's very extremely rare to have permanent hair loss, unless maybe you had some underlying issues to begin with. What we see more most often is that the hair, as you mentioned, grows back, um, tends to grow back gray. It can grow back a completely different texture. It can, um, and then, like you said, the eyebrows and the eyelashes kind of come later sometimes. Mm-hmm
1: oh yeah, my, it was like weeks after my hair fell out. I was taking my my makeup off in the sink and I'm like, what the heck is that? And I'm looking down and I'm like, oh my God, it's chunks of my eyelashes. And that I knew, again, I knew it was coming, but when it starts to happen, you're really kind of taking a little off guard. And when I lost my all of my eyelashes, I think that that was probably one of the more difficult things I dealt with and how I really kind of internalized it, but thank God for magnetic lashes.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah. Tell me about magnetic lashes. How did they go on? So it is a magnetic liner
1: and you have to be really careful. I had to try several different brands because since the eyeliner does contain metal, it can be very irritating, especially if you're going through treatment where your skin is just going bonkers. So you paint on liquid eyeliner and you let it dry for a couple minutes and then you take the lashes and just, they like just stick right on and they're there all day. Like they will last through a hurricane. I literally also like cried my eyes out one day watching a movie and I forgot I had them on and they did not move. So I am a big fan of the magnetic lash but depending on how your skin reacts to the metal, you have to be kind of trial and error with the different brands that are out there. And they're so reusable. You can use a pair like 30 times.
0: Would you say that they are better than like the kind of old fashioned, you know, the glue eyelashes? Oh, absolutely. Especially since you lost your lashes.
1: And if you're in a stage where your lashes are slowly starting to come back you don't want to take the chance of ripping out any new lash growth when you go to take your lashes off so it's just very gentle oil-based makeup remover and then they just come right it comes right off they're so easy to use
0: that's great that's very helpful and what about kind of now resuming all of the, you know, the Botox and the fillers. Let's talk about that.
1: Oh my goodness. When I finally got the go ahead to do my Botox and fillers, I ran through my office. I found the first provider I could see I with a vial of Botox in my hand and I said, fill her up because I've looked angry and bald and gray and green and broken out for way too long. And it was literally the happiest day of my life outside of my (laughs) wedding you know it's it's just one of those feel good things because to Mm -hmm. me that meant that my life was coming back to normal almost that's how kind of like i associated it it's not you know i didn't do it to make myself look better because i i mean i did look like a disaster for a hot couple months but you make it work. You know, I played up different ways of doing my makeup and I still, I looked great and I felt great, but getting that done was just my first degree of it's all going to be okay. It's all going to start going back to normal.
0: And I love that because everyone has something that they do that makes them feel a little bit more like themselves again.
1: Yes. And Believe me, a little bit of Botox just relaxed the muscles in my forehead. And I was, it was just like a, ah, moment.
0: Now, are you back to your pre-chemo routine or did you have to modify or have you had to modify?
1: So I am back to my pre-chemo routine. So once my skin was truly fully healed, I started adding back the vitamin C and retinol into my regimen. I still use glycolic acid um, or lactic acid. Like if I feel like my skin is a little more sensitive for some odd reason, because I do find that happening now. I used to have pretty resilient kind of tough skin, but now it kind of ebbs and flows through different waves of sensitivity. So I'll change up something I'm using. Maybe I won't use my retinol, I'll use a lactic acid, which is a milk-based exfoliator if I feel like I need to look a little brighter, a little more even toned, or maybe I feel like a breakout coming on. So there's different products that you can adjust to based upon how your skin is after treatment, because it is not exactly the same as it was before. I can't use stronger prescription-based retinols. I have to use a little bit of a lesser percentage, or I have to use a lesser percentage of vitamin C because it's just a little too irritating. So playing around with what works, what doesn't, really kind of, you need a little bit of patience with that. And the thing to remember about any of these treatments, whether, you know, it's after chemo, before chemo, non-cancer related, Skincare products take about 12 weeks to show results in the skin. Some you can see sooner depending on the product and depending what it's treating, but it takes time. So immediately if you put something on and it burns and it hurts and it itches, no, that is clearly a reaction that you're having or you've now developed a sensitivity. I probably would not use that again. Or I would patch test it on another area of your skin, like on the inside of your arm or your forearm to see that you don't have a reaction. If you wanna do that before investing in something and putting it all over your face. So it is a little bit of trial and error, but once you can tolerate products again, the only products that I really stress to patients that are important, are antioxidants, retinols, and sunscreen. A cleanser is a cleanser, unless you have a very specific reason for using a specific cleanser. I still kind of alternate between my gentle cleanser from CeraVe, which I'm just so thrilled with after using it through my chemotherapy with kind of like a glycolic acid cleanser, just for a little bit of anti-aging or I wanna just look a little brighter. So there's some things that you have to switch on and off with, but you also have to do a little bit of homework as well.
0: All right. So let's make, let me make sure I have this. So we've got the antioxidant. I'm oh, sorry. We have the cleanser. We have the moisturizer. Yep. And then you just said antioxidants, retinols. What was the third one? Sunscreen. Sunscreen. And then the antioxidants, this is your vitamin C or something similar. The most common
1: used antioxidant in the skin is vitamin C. Vitamin C sometimes you'll see vitamin E. there's so many different natural antioxidants, but gold standard antioxidant to get great results in the skin in terms of sun damage, pigmentation, redness, just overall reestablishing healthy cells
0: is vitamin C. And then what about retinols? So
1: retinols are a derivative of vitamin A. Okay. So you have prescription-based retinoids, which are very strong, geared more towards patients who have acne and Mm -hmm. more advanced anti-aging. And then you have over-the-counter retinols, which are derivatives of retinoids, but obviously not as strong because you can buy them over-the-counter. So many different percentages. I always recommend to patients when you're choosing a retinol to start with the lowest percentage and to work your way up to using it more than twice a week. So all patients, we usually have them titrate up. So you'll use like a pea-sized amount to the whole face and you want to avoid around the corners of the eyes, the nose, and the mouth because those are very sensitive areas. You'll do that twice a week for about two to three weeks. And if your skin tolerates it, you keep adding a night every week until you're using it every night. Because retinol can be very, very drying, but that's where you get cellular turnover. It's exfoliating. It's bringing new, bright, healthy skin cells to the surface.
0: And where are you putting the retinol in In the lineup, right, with the moisturizer and the antioxidant, like what's the order? So it depends on the form of the retinol to a degree. So
1: antioxidants usually go first, and retinols, I have to preface by saying this only used at night. You don't use retinols in the morning because retinols can make you photosensitive and can Mm -hmm. increase your risk of sunburn. And that's the last thing you need. So at night, it's Cleanser, antioxidant, retinol, moisturizer if needed. And especially if you're a newbie to retinols, I always tell patients to just use a little bit of moisturizer or mix the retinol with the moisturizer just to cut any potential reaction that you could have.
0: Okay. And now, so that's at night and then at daytime, let me see if I got this. Cleanser first. Yep antioxidant, Mm -hmm. moisturizer, and then sunscreen.
1: Absolutely.
0: Now, last question on this. What about like the moisturizers that have sunscreen in them? Is that good enough? Or we need two separate things.
1: Patients who ask me this question, I always say something is better than nothing. If you're using a double duty product, I think that's great because that's more than what most people use every day. However, the thing that's important to look for is you want a minimum of an SPF 30. SPF 15 is really not giving you adequate coverage. And that's generally what you find in most moisturizers that contain a sunscreen. I'm all about a double duty, but you want to make sure that the minimum sun level protection is SPF 30.
0: Got it. And then... Last question. I know the answer to this, but I want you to tell everybody. We're we're not just using sunscreen in the summer, right? Sunscreen must be used year round. Everybody thinks that it's
1: just banana boat at the Jersey Shore or whatever (laughs) beach that we all or lake that we all migrate to. But UVA and UVB rays penetrate through our car windows, our windows at home, our, if we work in an office where we're near a window and we don't have a shade blocking us, this is all being absorbed by your skin all day. It's so important, even if it's winter, if it's raining, if you're skiing, I mean, you're even higher up in elevation and closer to the rays of the sun. So that's especially important, but there's, never a time where you should be without sunscreen on your face your ears and your neck and I really for women especially recommend the backs of the hands because actually one of the things that makes women look much older before they actually need to is crinkly skin on the backs of the hands
0: oh my god I'm gonna start doing this every day (laughs)
1: And that's just, it's especially important, like, if you do get those UV manicures, I recommend they make these, I know you can purchase them on Amazon. They're kind of little, just like, fingertipless UV-blocking gloves. But for people who are just like, that's lame, please put sunscreen on the backs of your hands. Because we see so many precancerous lesions and skin, non-melanoma skin cancers developing on the backs of the hands. But because you're not protecting your skin and it's absorbing all this artificial light you're accelerating the aging process
0: well yeah and i always you know every time i get a gel manicure i think about this um but i'm gonna i'm gonna get the gloves i like that
1: oh yeah they're they're so cute it's like you can get them in any color i keep them in my purse or i keep them in my glove um my glove box in my car so no matter what, I at least always have them with me. Like that's one thing like I will not mess around with at the salon.
0: That is great advice. This was fantastic. And I think everyone can learn something from this. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to bring up?
1: I believe we covered a lot. The thing that I just would like patients to kind of take away from this discussion is there's nothing wrong with wanting to enhance the way you look. If this is something that you're currently doing and you have that step back that we have to do for a little while, it is temporary. Everything is adjustable. Yes, we have to maybe take a pause from some things that we're so used to doing. And it's part of our feel good and it's part of our routine, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we can always go back and we can adjust to make sure that you're feeling good about yourself once again, because this is only temporary. It took me a long time through treatment to realize that I was in a temporary situation. I was only going to look like this for a little while. I was only going to be experiencing this for a certain degree of time. It was going to change for me to a degree. And I stopped really obsessing about what I wasn't putting on my face or I wasn't looking less tired or I wasn't looking less angry. I really started to focus more on, I'm still beautiful. I'm just different beautiful and I'm becoming this new beautiful version of myself because you're never the same person as you were before your cancer diagnosis and this new person that you're born into is so different and powerful and exciting and loving life that we can always go back or tailor things to make you feel better. But what is going on is temporary and beautiful. It's just, it's a new beautiful for you to experience.
0: I love that. That is so well said. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Thank you. This was really such a great talk to have. And I'm so happy that Hopefully somebody listening may take away just a little bit of tidbit of information just to feel better or just make your skin feel a little better through the process.
0: And where can listeners find you online if they want to connect with you?
1: So I am available. They can go to our website, www.schweigerderm.com. That's S-C-H-W-E-I-G-E-R-D-E-R-M.com. And you'll find the main number on our website. And any of our providers can connect with, if you ask to speak with Joelle in the Hackensack office, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. And if you'd like to come in and meet with one of our providers or if you tried some of these things at home and it's just not working for you and you're still uncomfortable or you just want to, you know, an opinion of uh, some of the best trained professionals in the dermatology realm, I can certainly make you an appointment. And we participate with most insurances. So you know, most people think, oh, dermatology, it's all cosmetic. We treat every skin condition, and we do so providing the highest level of service to our patients.
0: Wonderful. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Dr. Duplinski. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to my conversation with Joelle. This was a great, great episode. There is so much information in here and if you found it helpful i would really really urge you to share it with a friend or a family member who may be starting chemotherapy is going through treatment right now and could use some information on skin care as an oncologist you know i don't have training in dermatology and so a lot of what we learn about skin care comes from our patients so having this conversation and hearing this guidance has, was so helpful for me. And I think it will be helpful as I counsel patients going forward about what to do. You can find Joelle on Instagram at the Aesthetic Concierge, as well as on her practice website at Schweiger Derm, and that's S-C-H-W-E-I-G-E-R-D-E-R-M. As always, you can connect with me at Dr. Duklinski on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And I love hearing from all of you. I love hearing your messages after listening to the podcast about what you loved and just how amazing the guests that I have are on the show are. If you have a moment, I would be so honored if you can leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, as that is the best way to help me grow the show and to bring it to new listeners. Just this week, the Interlude Podcast made it into the top 100 medicine podcasts on Apple, which is a huge, huge category um, and really just so exciting to see that. So we're reaching people and I hope to continue doing the same. Have a wonderful week and I will see all of you soon.